Good morning. Okay. <laughs> Good, you're responsive today, because there's going to be times I'm going to ask questions and expect you to respond. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Katrina Wilkins, and I'm a local ministerial candidate here. Um, and that just means that I'm exploring a call into ordained ministry through the Free Methodist Church. We put fancy titles and we make systems out of things because we are Methodists at our heart. So, <laughs> as Olivier said, Pastor Scott is um, away and he's actually preaching at Lighthouse Camp in Barker. Um, and keep him in prayer this week because he's going to be preaching every day this week. And I had months to prepare and still... <laughs> So, um, children, children in uh, ages kindergarten through fifth grade, we have busy bags for you somewhere. Everybody's looking blank at me. Um, <laughs> and um, we will have them again next week. So, <clears throat> justice. What comes to mind when you hear the word justice? Go ahead and answer. Louder. Fourth? Court. Court, yes. What else? Woman with the scales. Criminals. Fairness. Safety. Trial. What is that? justice as compared to injustice. Legal system, absolutely. Um, I, heard it, I heard it touched on, but I'm going to, you know, sometimes we think of justice more as punishment, you know, that, that people are, justice is served, people getting punished for what they deserve. And really it's not what maybe what they deserve, but how we think justice should be served. But... What does the Bible say about justice? There's a, a ton of verses throughout the Old Testament, and God talks to his people through his prophets about justice endlessly in the Old Testament. Here's a few examples. Job, um, as God is talking to Job, in his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress, he being God. In Psalm, the Lord loves righteousness, and justice. The world, the earth is full of his unfailing love. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. In Proverbs, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. In Isaiah, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And there are so many more. There were pages, and I could have probably filled the entire time for my sermon just reading verses about justice that God and, and it's what God has said um, but as I got as I kept reading I realized that justice the picture of justice that was being painted for me is really compassion and dignity so today we're going to dig into mark 5 for an example of Jesus living out God's justice uh, it's mark 5 21 to 34 if you want to follow along I will not be reading it word for word. I'm actually going to be telling more of the story and stopping along the way. 
Jesus was already known for his healing. And so when he arrived on the shore of the lake, a large crowd gathered to find out what he could do next. One of the synagogue leaders was there to beg Jesus to come heal his daughter. And Jesus agreed, so they started walking to Jairus' house. The crowd decided to go along. And the scripture tells us that they pressed around him and someone touched him. Think of the last time you were in a crowded space. Were you aware of every time somebody bumped into you or touched you? Maybe it wasn't, maybe you did at the time, but it's not really memorable. Or maybe you're a parent of small children. How many times has your child already touched you today? And you're not even aware of it because it's just normal. Crowds became that for Jesus. But, by, but this time, when somebody touched Jesus, he knew immediately that it was different because power had left him. He stopped and looked around and asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples and Jairus probably gave a bit of a resigned sigh and maybe an internal eye roll and said, who hasn't touched you? But Jesus knew this was different and he knew that there was someone who knew why. And he was right. We only know her as the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. We know that she had seen a doctor after doctor spending all she had and just got worse. And in our modern minds, we think that poor woman, she's been sick all this time. But in her time, because of the Levitical law, as long as she was bleeding, anything and everyone she touched would be declared unclean, untouchable, an outcast. Think about this. If she came to church today and shook your hand, you would be required to not only wash everything you're wearing, but also go take a shower, and you would also be unclean for the rest of the day until the sun set. down. Set. And that may not seem like a big deal to us, but in a time and culture where water needed to be brought from a central well every day, and people didn't have a lot of extra clothing, and bathing took time that could be used for work, I'm guessing that people kept their distance from this woman just out of practicality. Science tells us that a hug or loving touch gives our body the signals it needs to create trust and empathy. This woman wasn't even allowed that. She was not allowed the basic touches of humanity. She hadn't been hugged or touched in 12 years. And there's scientific evidence that says that about four hugs a day or loving touches a day is just what every human needs to survive. Eight is maintenance. And she's gone out of that way. She's gone that way for 12 years. And anyone who has touched her has recoiled because they understood the implications on their life. They were not compassionate by law. Before too long, I imagine that she believed she was unlovable by not only the people around her, but also God. And she grew desperate. And like the sailors in the account that Jared shared with us last week, desperation led to her faith. Faith that if she could only touch Jesus' robe, 
she could be healed. Twelve years of isolation, loneliness, and illness would be gone. So she did it. We don't know how she got that close to him. Was it an opportune moment when Jesus was at the edge of the crowd? Were there those in the crowd that made room for her? Did she push others aside, not caring for their uncleanliness so she could get close? Was this a calculated decision? Or did she do it because Jesus responded to Jairus' request to heal his daughter, thinking that if he could do that, maybe he could heal her too? However it happened, she did it. She reached out, she touched his robe, and was immediately healed, and she knew it. She knew it. But she also knew that she had made him unclean. She had broken the law. And she just wanted to go away until she could wait her seven days to present herself to the priest as clean. But Jesus had other ideas. He noticed. He noticed the power that left him. And he asked. And he waited for a response. And she knew she couldn't remain anonymous any longer. So she fell at his feet, afraid. Why afraid? Again, she knew the consequences of being unclean. And now she knew him to be someone with power and authority. The very thing that healed her now scares her. For the last 12 years, those in power and authority those teachers and keepers of the law treated her as less than human. But Jesus' response was not what she expected. He called her daughter. Daughter. We don't call anyone by a family name unless we just love them. And then he extolled her faith in front of everyone there. We know there was a crowd. There was no condemnation from him. And he could have condemned her. He could have condemned her for making him and the rest of the crowd or any crowd or anyone else she had come in contact with unclean. And he had the law to back him up. He could have made an example of her for his own purposes by condemning her and then forgiving her just to prove that he could. But he didn't. He called her daughter. Very intimate name. This woman likely hasn't been treated with kindness, let alone someone claiming her as family in a very long time. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us what happens next after this. Just the story moves on to healing Jairus' daughter. We don't know what impact she had on her community after this. But we do know that by him saying, my daughter, your faith has healed you, go and be free of your suffering, he restored her to community. He responded with compassion and dignity, with God's justice. Are there people in our lives like this that this woman represents that we don't want 
to go out of our way to treat with dignity and respect? Is it a specific person? Is it a them in your life, them being someone other than me and us? In Genesis, we are told that humanity is created in God's image. Everyone, every single person, whether they realize it or not. And when I'm reminded of that, I have to ask myself who I don't see as made in the image of God. Is it another people group? Is it someone who aligns themselves with a different political party than I do? Is it someone who was born in a different place than I was? Is it someone of a different social class? Is it someone who eats differently than I do? Is it someone who drives a different car? There's so many ways to say us versus them. But as long as I, and as long as I can think of another person as them, I don't have to love them as my neighbor. At least that's what seems to happen. And as long as I don't have to treat them, love them as my neighbor, I don't have to treat them with dignity and respect. I can treat them with charity and pity if I can do that. And I feel like I need to take a moment to make a distinction between compassion and dignity and charity and pity. Charity and pity are often used to make us feel better about helping someone else, whether or not that person we are helping sees it that way. Compassion and dignity sees the other person for who they are and treats them as someone who is also created in the image of God. Charity and pity is deciding that someone, what someone else needs and telling them that or doing it for them. Compassion and dignity asks what is needed, asks how help is needed, and walks alongside believing the person inherently knows what they need. Charity and pity you can do from afar. With compassion and dignity, you have to get to know the person and situation. It gets messy and doesn't often allow you to stay in your comfort place. So where do we start? How do we bring God's justice to a world where there is so much injustice? First and foremost, pray. Ask God to open your eyes to the world around you and be prepared to notice things you have never noticed before. God loves to answer that prayer. And if you want to partner with people to pray that prayer, we have a prayer team that meets every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock to pray over the cards that you've just filled out, to pray for the needs of our community, and pray for revival in this area, in this region, and in the world. They also meet on Tuesdays. Or grab a friend and and commit to meeting with them regularly and praying. But just remember that if you pray great big God prayers, God's going to answer them. And I know I talked about charity and pity and kind of maligned it, but that might be your first step. That might be the first way that God tweaks your heart to go, oh, somebody needs to do something about that. And if you're really praying that prayer, God may be saying, yeah, you. You need to do something about that. God may be asking you to start close to home. There may be a situation that you are already aware of, sort of, on the edge of, that needs justice. 
but you didn't realize how much. And ask around. Are there others in your life that are bringing wholeness into places of brokenness? There are a number of new hopers already involved in bringing justice, compassion, and dignity to the world. You may find ways to support them or partner with them. And since we have a few of those people here today, I'm going to ask them to just give them a quick word. Uh, Patty Welch is the director of um, our Immigration Legal Services. Hi. Our mission statement for New Hope Immigration Legal Services is we recognize the God-given dignity in all people and seek to accompany refugees and other immigrants in offering affordable immigration legal services. The brochures are out on the kind of, what do you call that place? Welcome table. <laughs> um, the way that we, well, if you think green card, you know, um, refugees who are here one year, um, by law must apply for a green card, but we make no way to help them do that process. They need people to help them. So um, way beyond that, there, there's, in here there's a long list of all the things that we offer. The way you can get involved is we need volunteers to do the work, and we also need donations to help fund the ministry. We have no grants or anything like that, but it's a way that we we recognize um, and want to come alongside people to work with them. We have Tim to tell us a little bit about RAIN. RAIN is the Rochester Area Interfaith Hospitality Network. We provide housing for people that are in transition between houses. And um, I don't know if anyone knows this, but if you do lose your house and you have to go into a shelter, families often can't stay together. The husband has to go to a male shelter, and then usually the wife and the kids usually have to go to the female shelter. So RAIN provides that kind of bridge for people, and they provide uh, services for them to help them find housing. Our next rotation is going to be mid-August. Okay. <laughs> Be aware, dates are out there, and we'll be giving announcements soon. Um, and then Andre has some ideas, and he's walked out. Oh, nope, there he is. <laughs> um, so uh, New Hope, uh, actually, if you were here a few weeks ago, you probably heard me talking about this, but New Hope is starting to work on this project called the Sacred Urban Spaces Project. Um, which is looking at uh, how we can improve the social, physical, and spiritual environment in this neighborhood. Um, so we actually went to a neighborhood meeting um, this past week, and uh, we told them that we wanted to help, and we, uh, you know, heard from them what they were dealing with, and they're gonna. They have a, a strategic plan for the neighborhood they already wrote. This is the uh, Markview Heights neighborhood up by the public market. Uh, and so they're giving us the, the plan, and we're going to go over it with the administrative council and figure out um, what parts of that that we can take part in. Um, so I don't know exactly how you can help yet, because we haven't gone over the whole plan, but we're going to definitely need volunteers and people who are willing to get out in the neighborhood and, and help uh, make improvements. And we're going to be meeting with uh, other neighborhood organizations, the East End organization, uh, downtown um, neighborhood organization to try to understand what they need from us as well because we're kind of in the middle of some very different neighborhoods here 
uh, we've got a really uh, unique spot in which to do God's work. So uh, keep your eyes open, and if you want to be, you know, kept up to date and stuff, let me know. I can get your email. Thanks. Those are just three examples of how new hopers have taken that little nudge of the spirit and taken it to the world, taken God's justice to the world, and they have, have invited us to partner with them. There's so many other ways. We have teachers and bus drivers who care for their students, showing them Christ's love even when they can't use those words, and people who work in hospitals taking care of people when they are the most vulnerable, people who work in ways that can affect change with policy that brings dignity to people in the workplace, and there's so many other ways. If you're sitting there going, ooh, 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 I've got a, I've got a way, can what, how, do, how are you bringing justice into the world? I know you're all doing something. You just don't know it because you don't call it that. <laughs> foster care, yes. Kim and Rob do foster, are, are foster parents. Beautifying a neighborhood because people actually are dignified when their surroundings are pretty. Voter registration. Well, but it's on your mind and it's on your heart, Dave. Sandy. counselings, and she said, most, more importantly, conversations with her neighbours. And I can attest that when Sandy says she sees you and that God sees you, you can't hide from that. <laughs> Lynn. Did everybody hear that? taking the bread from Panera that is just stuff that they would throw away and redistributing it. Anyone else? Okay. There may be ways that you're already doing things. There may be ways that you're not yet doing things, but God is already starting to open your eyes and break your heart. I, I believe that we, have, we all have something that simultaneously breaks our hearts, and makes our hearts sing. It's two sides of the same coin. And that's really where God is calling you to make the difference and be his force of justice and compassion and dignity in this world. I don't know where you all are, but I know, I do know, that each of you are working for this. I've seen it in your lives, and I've seen it with each other. And when we do this, when we take God's justice into this world, when he, we offer his compassion and his dignity, the people who don't yet know him, it starts to look and feel a lot like God's love. And that's what we're called to do, to love as Christ loved us, to be known. And, and we're called to be known as his disciples by his love. And if we're not known by his love, we got a long way to go. Taking that step of faith towards God's justice 
just as that woman did, maybe all it takes to start for you. As we go into the summer, ask God to show you how to show how to show his compassion, dignity, justice, and love to the world around us. Ask him to break your heart to the ways he needs you to act as his hands and feet. I've asked the worship team to lead us in a song called Let There Be Peace on Earth. It's a law, it's an old song. It's an old song. Most of the people on the worship team didn't know it. <laughs> it's an old song. <laughs> but I want you to listen to it and sing along as a prayer. As you leave here today, may it be ringing in your ears. Thank you.